ReachMD XM157 presents a special series, Insights in Future Medicine. Carotid stenting requires a high degree of technical skill. If the plaque is accidentally dislodged and enters the brain during the journey, the patient could have a stroke or even die. How can surgeons use virtual reality to minimize the risk of an undesirable outcome during carotid stenting procedures? You are listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. You are listening to a special segment on future medicine. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Christopher Cates, Assistant Professor at Emory University School of Medicine and the Director of Vascular Intervention at Emory University Hospital and Crawford Long Hospital and the Medical Director of Emory Angiographic Simulation Training Center. Welcome, Dr. Cates. Well, thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Today we are discussing virtual reality simulation in carotid stenting. Dr. Cates, how do you begin a virtual reality carotid stenting procedure? Well, the first thing that is required to actually practice the procedure prior to doing it, a type of technology we call mission rehearsal, is that you must get a CT angiogram or MR angiogram of the patient's anatomy from the aortic arch up through the carotid. And why do you do that? You do that so that you can load that digital information onto the simulator so you can actually practice the technique in your own patient's anatomy. What do you mean, practice the technique? Well, carotid stenting, like any new procedure, is highly technically challenging. And the technology, you have to pick in advance and adapt to that particular patient's anatomy. So the ability to go in and practice with a certain type of technology initially in a safe virtual environment offers the clinician very much of a comfort zone in knowing that he's chosen the right equipment and can perform the procedure safely in a virtual way before he attempts it in that patient's anatomy on that real patient. In simplistic terms, how are you actually physically doing this with virtual reality? Well, you take the digital anatomy on a CD, you send it to currently a simulator company that then can put it on a simulator. You then can practice the technique on that simulated anatomy, get it right, and then work on your desired patient's anatomy in the real patient. Now, you're not actually using real catheters in the simulation, or are you? Oh, absolutely. We're using real catheters, the real tools, the real angiographic equipment, and the only part that's simulated is the virtual anatomy and the very distal end of the catheter itself. All the physics and physical characteristics of the catheter are pre-programmed in to where they work in the anatomy, the virtual anatomy, just the same way they would work in the real anatomy. And this has immense implications to the practice of medicine going forward with all types of technology, but was first demonstrated in the carotid stenting area, and we published this in JAMA in January of 07. And tell us about that. Well, again, it was a difficult patient carotid anatomy that we put on a simulator based on a CT angiogram of that patient's anatomy, and we were able to work virtually in that patient's anatomy with the carotid technology, find out what works, and then apply it immediately to that patient working on that patient live 
transmitted to Washington, D.C. Is this something on mission rehearsal that you have to do several times before you do it to the patient? Well, it depends. If the first technique and technology doesn't work, then obviously you would change to something that does work virtually before you try it on a patient. But that in and of itself has immense financial implications to the medical community with less wasted use of a very expensive technology that, in fact, wouldn't work when you get it in the patient. And how long does it take to get used to doing this technique on virtual reality? It's very similar to the real thing. In fact, we've done a number of validation studies that, in fact, show that experienced operators feel that doing it virtually is almost identical to doing it on the real patient. And so we feel that there's a lot of cross-pollination between doing it virtually and doing it on the real patient. And operators can get over that learning curve or that initial skepticism of using a new technique or technology in a new patient, but doing it in a safe environment where if there is a mistake, it doesn't cause a catastrophic result. And is this something that is done routinely on every patient prior to carotid stenting? No, it's very much an experimental technique right now that we're just working out all the bugs. But I think in the future we will probably be able to have CT scans attached to the cath lab where we can get virtual anatomy, download it to a simulator, practice the technique on a simulator, and then go right in and do it on a patient all in a seamless transition. If you have just joined us, you are listening to a special segment on future medicine on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, Professor of Surgery at the Chicago Medical School, and with me today is Dr. Christopher Cates, Assistant Professor at Emory University School of Medicine and the Director of Vascular Intervention at Emory University Hospital and Crawford Long Hospital, and the Medical Director at Emory Angiographic Simulation Training Center. Today we are discussing virtual reality simulation in carotid stenting. Dr. Cates, when you do a mission rehearsal with virtual reality prior to a carotid stenting procedure, has this actually changed how would you approach things in the actual patient? It certainly has. In fact, on the first patient that we did mission rehearsal on, that is loading their information onto the simulator and practicing before we do it live, we found that a certain catheter allowed the guide wire to go up into the wrong place that we did not want the wire in the left subclavian. We were able to then modify in the real live patient to take a different technique that did not allow that wire to go in the unintended place. It also allowed us to size the equipment exactly to the patient's anatomy and not have this guesswork that needed to be done in normal live procedures without mercy rehearsal. So we feel like it really has immense implications both for quality safety for patients, as well as cost reduction in overuse of inadequate and ultimately ineffective technology in patients. Well, how accurate is the model compared to the actual patient? It's the patient's real anatomy, so it's very true to form. It's very much one-to-one to the patient's real anatomy. And again, as we learn more about this technique, I suspect there, there are going to be many more applications using robotics, where we can actually do a patient's anatomy based on a virtual reality simulation in one city where a robot then can, by satellite, do the actual procedure on that distant patient in another city. Well, not to look at the downside, but has a mission rehearsal ever thrown you a curveball and actually thrown you off track? 
Well, certainly, like any new technology, there are potential pitfalls, and doing a procedure incorrectly in a virtual way and thinking that it could be safe and then applying that incorrect technique to a patient could be a downside of virtual reality. But hopefully with some of the mechanisms that we're building into these systems where operators can get what's called proximate feedback, that is feedback from the machine that they're actually doing something unsafely or incorrectly with an orange triangle or a a caution bar, that can train the physician while he's learning the new technique or using that technique in a certain patient's anatomy that that particular movement or technique was unsafe and would not be appropriate to be transferred to the live patient. Are the physicians pretty receptive in doing this uh, mission rehearsal prior to the actual procedure? Oh, physicians love it. They say, wow, this has really gotten me over my learning curve in doing this very complex case, and I would love to have this on every patient. And do you inform the patients as to this mission rehearsal? We do at this point because it's still a technology that we're using very carefully and very selectively. So it's still a part of ongoing investigations and is not applicable to the wide patient population as of yet. But in five to ten years, it may be commonplace and the standard of care. Now, how long have you been doing mission rehearsal for carotid stenting? We have been doing it for the past two to three years And we are learning more and more about it and have actually been training physicians using simulation, of which mission rehearsal is one piece, all around the world. We're working with other societies like the Brazilian Cardiology Society to do training programs in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and Rio de Janeiro. We've worked in Singapore to train Southeast Asia Interventional Cardiology Society. We've worked in India in association with the Indian Cardiology Society to train there, as well as in Europe. And what about other places in the United States? Well, we have, through the Interventional Cardiology Society, established regional simulation training centers where we do simulation training in a tiered curriculum where doctors learn carotid stenting, the basic techniques, in a a two-and-a-half-day intensive course with the experts. They reinforce their knowledge on an online didactic training system and remote simulation using the Internet along with a cognitive test. And then physicians go to these regional simulation training centers for two days where they practice carotid stenting on simulators and watch live cases in the lab and get immersed in the entire experience and can actually transfer their knowledge from what they've learned to actually performing the procedure in a simulator in a patient-safe way to where they meet benchmarks set by measurement capabilities of their performance within the simulator that has been measured against experts' performance. So they have to reach a technical proficiency level before the society says that they are certified as completing this rigorous task. And as close as a society can be, an interventional cardiology society can be to credential actual physicians in a new procedure. And finally, this is very exciting technology. How do you think what you've learned can be applied to other procedures in other specialties? Well, I think that it already has and will be applied to other specialties like surgery, where laparoscopic surgery in many residency programs actually has a virtual reality component where resident physicians 
spend certain amounts of times on simulators prior to doing real procedures on patients. I think in other evolving areas where new technology is going to be used, like percutaneous valve treatment, where heart surgeons want to learn to do procedures less invasively, where neurologists want to treat acute stroke, and we're using new technology up in the brain, where there's high risk to patients, I think virtual reality will become the standard of training and the standard of care in mission rehearsal. I want to thank Dr. Christopher Cates, who has been our guest. We have been discussing virtual reality simulation in carotid stunting. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and you have been listening to a special segment about future medicine on the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to check out our website at www.reachmd.com, which now features on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to a special series, Insights in Future Medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals.